Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you today. I want to tell you, I got some fresh energy about this series. So uh, I might go off the carpet a time or two. I typically stay on the carpet, but if I get excited, I'm going to go off the carpet today. And I might, you know, so just don't get trippy if I go. I'm already off the carpet. I'm already off the carpet. Here's a backstory. This is why I got fresh energy about Galatians. Uh, we started our church in the fall of 2012 in our living room in the study of Galatians. It laid the foundation for a culture of freedom, new covenant freedom that we wanted to establish the church on. And I just felt stirred, Lindsay and I felt stirred that it was time to go back and re-engage the book of Galatians. Are you excited for Galatians, you guys? This is, this is a really important study for us. Um, you know, it's fun to be up here with uh, Spada and Connor. I think Connor was at the first or second gathering we had in our living room back in 2012. Spada this morning, I was like, you were at the living room. He goes, yeah, my first Sunday at Two Rivers was when he was a freshman in college and we were in Galatians chapter five. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm super excited to be in this study again um, from where we started. I've named the series for Freedom. And uh, freedom, freedom in general, freedom in Christ uh, is a gift. Uh, freedom means that we have a choice. Uh, freedom means that we don't live in bondage, that we are free. Um, can be a bit though, if, if we're honest, this idea of freedom, freedom in Christ can be sometimes for us a bit uneasy for us. It can be nerve wracking for some. It can even be a little scary. Uh, what it means to actually uh, hold freedom and to understand how to uh, um, take responsibility uh, for that. It's, it's not always, freedom is not always predictable. Freedom isn't uh, safe all the time. And I think because of those reasons, uh, there, there is a temptation, a, a luring, if you will, that we would rather maybe the clarity of bondage uh, and rules and regulations uh, than the uncertainty sometimes and the unpredictability of freedom. I want to give you a biblical example uh, from what I mean by this. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to do one verse in Galatians today. We're going to spend a little bit more time here at the beginning in uh, Exodus chapter 15. So if you want to turn there now, and then we're going to be in Isaiah 30, and then we'll spend uh, time later in one verse in Galatians. But I want to give you a biblical example of this statement. We'd rather the clarity of bondage to the uncertainty of freedom. Here's, here's a biblical example of that. Let's think about Moses. Let's think about the Hebrew people. Let's think about the reality that Moses led God's people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt after hundreds of years of slavery. And you know the story, the famous story. It's in Exodus chapter 15. They cross the Red Sea after the 10 plagues. Uh, the, the, the Pharaoh lets God's people go, and then he changes his mind, and then he pursues them to the Red Sea. And the miraculous story, the parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous uh, parting, Israel goes through, the Hebrew people go through, and then the Red Sea swallowed up uh, the pursuers uh, from Pharaoh. Do you remember how long that the Hebrew people enjoyed their freedom before they started bickering and complaining and wanting to go back? The next chapter, it was the very next chapter after the miraculous 
liberating freedom from hundreds of years of slavery. It is the next chapter. I'm going to read this quick passage uh, with you. Exodus 15, verses 22 to 27. Can we get there, my little clicker? There it is. Exodus 15, 22 to 27. Here's the story. This is right after the Red Sea, the miracle freeing reality of the Red Sea. It says, verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled, three days, next chapter, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them and there he tested them and he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. If you trust me and if you follow my guidance, even when it's uncertain, even when there's unknown, even when there's uncertainty, when it's not predictable, when you can't see everything in front of you, if you will trust me and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. When we can't see it all in front of us, when we can't see it all in front of us, freedom, freedom beckons us to trust in God's guidance in our lives. God had just again moved them through the Red Sea. Three days later, they are grumbly and God performs another miracle for them. Take this piece of wood, Moses, throw it in the water, the water becomes sweet. And then they move on to a place called Elam. Elam was only six miles from Mara. Three miles uh, or three days after the Red Sea, they're in Mara. They're complaining. They're bitter. Uh, the unpredictability of freedom is scary, scaring them. They're complaining. Um, Elam was only six miles further. Freedom again. Freedom isn't always safe. It's not always predictable. Um, story in Isaiah to keep unpacking this. This is Israel had, 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 had been established. Jerusalem, God's people in Israel. Isaiah speaks this language in Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to read the first couple of verses uh, from Isaiah 31 and 2 and then 15 and 16. The prophet Isaiah says to God's people in Jerusalem, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. Those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Verse two, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. They're looking, they're under siege, they're, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid and they're, they're thinking, well, maybe we should go back to Pharaoh. You know, maybe Pharaoh could give us some more certainty. Let's go back to the bondage of Pharaoh rather than trusting in God in a season of life where things are uncertain and they don't feel safe to us. But Pharaoh's protection, verse three, will be your shame, Egypt's shade 
will bring you disgrace. Here is the call of the Lord, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance or in returning to me, in returning to me and trusting me, even when the future is uncertain, even when you're not sure, even when there's, there's, um, there's angst in you about your life, your future, in returning to me in repentance and in rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses back to Egypt. We will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. This is interesting to unpack um, this idea that uh, Israel and right after the Red Sea and Israel In Jerusalem, from Exodus 15 and Isaiah 30, they wanted the clarity, hear this, they wanted the clarity of bondage rather than their freedom. And it sounds crazy, sounds crazy, but I I think it's still pretty rampant in the church. In Christ, in Christ, you are free. Here's the question, what will you do with your freedom? Those who love, people that love power and they love control, they rob the people of God from their freedom. How do they do that? With manipulation and control and with guilt tactics and with laws and with lies. And they they love to create fear so that the people of God can be under control and not growing in grace and and learning how to have the responsibility and the joy of freedom. Those, Those who are afraid of freedom, people that are afraid of freedom would rather someone just tell them what to do and how to do it rather than learning how to manage our freedom well. That um, phrase, what will you do with your freedom, is kind of the question that I want to start the series with. And it reminds me, uh, just a quick personal story. Lindsay and I, we will uh, be married 23 years in August. And we met in college at a summer camp. So we are, we are, we are the product of the summer camp romance. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's like some summer camps, it's like, you're not supposed to do that. At Camp Ozark, they actually encouraged it because they're like, why not like, have people meet and get married at camp? So anyway. Uh, we, we are summer camp romance, and we, we, were, we were at this camp, and this was the flow of like a camp day. You wake up, you go to breakfast. After breakfast, everybody goes to competition, right? It's sports, and uh, there's all these competitions, and there's, there's classes you take for sports. And then you go to lunch, and then after lunch every day is, free time, or is rest time, rest period, which the kids hated, but the counselors we loved, loved rest time. And at the end of rest time, every day in camp, there was a song that came on, and the song always started with this, what will you do with your freedom? I tried to find that song. I couldn't find it this week. Um, Some of you guys might know that song. And then when that song played, all the kids knew, like, it's free time. And the question with free time is, what will you do with your freedom? Again, that's, that's the question I want to begin this series with. What will you do with your freedom in Christ? 
Will you stay free? Will you stand firm in the freedom that Christ came to give us? Or will you be manipulated back into a law-based, works-based way of thinking about Christianity? Will you stand firm in it or will you give in to religion and rules and laws and submit to a yoke of slavery? The one verse from Galatians that we're gonna get to today is Galatians 5.1. I'm not sure why my clicker's not working today. If we could go to Galatians 5.1, here is the verse. For freedom, for freedom, for freedom's sake, you have been set Free. Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm in freedom. Don't give it away. Stand firm in it. Learn about it. Grow in it. Stand firm in it. Learn, learn to carry the responsibility of it. Learn to manage it well. Like mature in freedom. Stand firm in it and do not. Here's an exhortation from Paul. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What what is Paul talking about when he says, don't submit again to to a yoke, a yoke, a yoke on us, a yoke of slavery? What is Paul talking about in Galatians 5 when he talks about a yoke of slavery? Here's the context. Here's what he's talking about. The slavery that Paul is talking about here is spiritual slavery as it relates to a relationship with God. The slavery that Paul is talking about here is new covenant believers in Christ going back to live under the Mosaic, the old covenant Mosaic law. And he calls living under the the old covenant Mosaic law as opposed to living in the freedom of the new covenant of grace, he calls that a yoke of slavery. And he exhorts you, do not go back to the old covenant Mosaic law. The slavery Paul is talking about here is believing, hear this, is believing that the better you do at following the religious rules, following the ways of the old covenant Mosaic law, the better chance you have of God accepting you and loving you. And Paul calls that a yoke of slavery. This idea that if I do more, if I do better, then God will accept me more or love me more. And Paul says, don't go back there. That is slavery. I want to say this to you, Lindsay and I, we are freedom fighters. This is why we started our church, laying the foundation of freedom for our church in 2012 with this book. We, I would say we are radical grace people, which, which sometimes positions us to be criticized a little bit about freedom because people get afraid of freedom. And, and I would say to you, sure, I mean, you could call uh, this church or Lindsay and I as the leaders of this church radical grace people, but I would just simply like to say, I just believe we are biblical grace people. And that's pretty radical. So it's not radical as opposed to biblical grace. We just wanna live in the biblical reality of freedom in the new covenant and fight for other people to live in the same thing. We weren't always this way. We weren't always this way for many, many years of our Christian lives and even years in serving in Christian ministry, we were under and we were submitted to a yoke of legalistic slavery in our lives that robbed us from the abundant life of rest, resting in God and living in the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, Jesus's new covenant, a revelation of Jesus's new covenant grace 
um, shook off the chains of legalism in our lives, and we are not who we used to be, and we ain't going back there anymore. And we are fighting for a culture of people to live in grace, understand the responsibility of grace, to grow in grace, and protect a culture of grace which Jesus came to give us. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Perhaps some of you uh, grew up in uh, families or perhaps uh, churches uh, that taught, truly taught, the true message of the gospel, which is salvation is in Jesus alone by his grace. But then as we, as we, as we journey along with Christ, as we grow up in church or we, we, we um, move forward in discipleship, whatever it is, uh, so many people have this testimony, myself included, that the heavy curtain, the iron curtain of the law comes crashing back down on us as believers and the law gets reinstated and we live with this reality of yes, grace for salvation, but being a Christian means following the law and we mix the law with grace and that's not grace anymore. That's not freedom anymore. That's what Paul calls a yoke of slavery. So let's just be clear on that. And what happens to us as Christians, as believers, is that we, we experience more shoulds and oughts and being manipulated by guilt and shame and pressure than peace and joy and rest and freedom in Christ uh, and, and, and sons and daughters of God who truly have responded and believed to the gospel of grace. They are saved. Truly, they are saved, but they miss out again on the abundant life of freedom. Peace, rest, joy, and over an empowering grace that empowers us to overcome sin in our life and strongholds because they haven't been taught to, to stand firm and to live out the reality of freedom in our lives. Um, many churches uh, are um, hesitant to talk about what I would call biblical new covenant of grace freedom, maybe, maybe even afraid to teach on true biblical grace and freedom. Why? Because people will go and live messy. They'll take advantage of grace and freedom and they'll just, they'll, and so it's just people, we've got to tell people how to behave because they won't manage their freedom. And the reality of freedom is this, uh, freedom isn't safe. It's unpredictable. Unpredictable. And the reality of, of our lives is we are messy, broken people. Um, freedom isn't tidy and it's not clean. It's messy and it's cluttered with kind of a, our stories and our brokenness and our junk and all those things. And it takes time. It takes time to unpack. It takes time to be truly uh, transformed uh, and understand the way of Jesus, uh, transforming grace in the lives of people. Um, it, it, it's a process. I wanna remind you of what we talked about last week with the, with the testimony of Peter, right? How many times in Peter's life did God, in Jesus, um, the, 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 the gracious, persistent pursuit of Peter to have a revelation of grace over and over and over and over again? It takes time to be transformed by grace. So just look at Peter, look at my life as an example of that. And we don't, 
We, we want quick fixes. The church wants a quick fix. People want a quick fix. We want people to just act right and behave quickly. And here's what happens. If we want a quick fix, behavior modification reality for people just to act the way they're supposed to act, just to make people be afraid and you can control them. Just create an environment of fear and they'll behave. I mean, that's, that's true. And all of us as parents, we know this is true. We know this is true because if we just want the behavior to change in our kids, we just create enough intimidation or seriousness or fear and they will behave. Like we know that it's, it's, it's a quicker way to get people to act the way you want them to act. Are you guys with me right now? And it's such a temptation as parents to do that. Certainly myself included, but that, that doesn't create real, real heart-to-heart -heart connection and real transformation um, in creating an environment of fear. But if, if the relational goal, uh, if the relational goal is obedience and compliance, if that, is, if that is the goal of the relationship, obedience and compliance, then fear and intimidation is a pretty good way to go. If a relational goal, though, is a heart-to-heart -heart connection and transformation, real relationship and real transformation, cultivating an environment of freedom and love and trust, and what goes with that is process and messiness, and we grow and we make mistakes and we grow and we learn, like cultivating an environment of freedom is a good way for that. If you want real relationship, real transformation, and your journey with Jesus, your journey with the Lord, it really is about heart transformation and it really is about grace and freedom. This, this is what Paul is fighting for in this book that we're gonna study this spring and summer. Here's what Paul is fighting for in this, in this book. It's this equation, Jesus plus nothing equals the true gospel. And what he's fighting for is a lie that the churches in Galatians had believed, which is this, Jesus plus something. He's fighting against that. So the false gospel is Jesus plus anything, anything plus Jesus equals the false gospel. What Paul is fighting for is Jesus plus nothing equals the true gospel. And that's what we wanna fight for in this series as well. Um, I wanna unpack some contextual things um, just to kind of set the stage for the series. Uh, and these context things I think will help us understand uh, with more clarity what, what we're gonna be getting into. So uh, just in terms of where is, where is Galatia, uh, here's a little map. So Paul's home church was in Antioch, which was in Syria, just to the north of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. And Galatia is a province of Rome during Paul's day. Uh, modern day Turkey, by the way. So Galatia, modern day Turkey, it was, a, it was a province of Rome. Why is that important? Because it was a Gentile province. It was non-Jewish, okay? That is where Paul went on his first missionary journey. Now, contextually, Paul, it was Jewish to the core, we know from Acts chapter eight, before his conversion to Jesus in Acts nine, he was murdering Christians. 
And then the, the miraculous conversion story of Acts chapter 9, he comes to faith in Jesus. And this was the call of Paul in Acts 9 to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Now, here's what we got to get clear between the Jewish people and the Gentile people, specifically for the book of Galatians. It's about circumcision, specifically in Galatians. Now, Paul, again, Jewish to the core. Here was Jewish law that Paul grew up with and the Jewish people grew up with all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and the story of Abraham. This was the Jewish law that circumcision was the right of entrance into God's covenant people. Like if you wanna be in the covenant people of God, this is under old covenant Mosaic law and it goes all the way back to Abraham, then circumcision was the right of entrance into God's covenant people. Again, Galatia was Gentile, no, no circumcision. So here's the big change. Here's the contextual thing that we have to understand uh, in the book of Galatians. And Paul, Paul had to make this switch. Again, Jewish to the core, comes to Jesus. Now he is called to be a, a gospel proclaimer to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. Here's the big change in the new covenant of grace because of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the rescuer, the redeemer, the savior. Jesus is the savior of the world. It is for every person, every nation. Jews and Gentiles alike, the rescue of Jesus wasn't just to the Jews, the circumcised. It was certainly to the Jews, who were, but it was also to the Gentiles who were uncircumcised. The promised inheritance of God, a relationship with God, reconciliation to God comes to all people who believe in Jesus. Certainly Jews who were circumcised, also certainly any Gentile who believed in Jesus who were uncircumcised circumcised. Now, next, next context, Paul, again, proclaimer of the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. He established the churches in Galatia. There were a number of churches in Galatia that he established on his first missionary journey. You can read about this, um, those, uh, the, those church planting efforts. It's all in Acts 13 and 14. I would encourage you to go read that later. And shortly after Paul evangelized, he goes there, he evangelizes the people, he establishes a number of churches in, the, in this Roman province. Uh, he sets up churches, the new covenant churches of grace. What happened after he left is those churches began to get infiltrated with who Paul calls false teachers. And he says this about them, they trouble you. People came, came after Paul left with a message that wasn't the gospel and they were troubling these new Gentile believers in Christ. Um, scholars, it's interesting, scholars date the letter to the Galatian churches before his second missionary journey. So even, even before he goes on his second missionary journey, he's already writing the letter to Galatia. In other words, it didn't take very long for a crisis to hit the church. And here was the trouble. Here's what Paul says. Those who trouble you, trouble the church with what? Here was the trouble. The false teachers that came into the churches in Galatia convinced these new Gentile believers of a false gospel that required them to also be circumcised. So they show up, yes, yes, you need, yes, Jesus. Yes, you need Jesus. 
And also circumcision is the rite of passage into God's covenant people. You guys are Gentiles. None of you have been circumcised. You need to also be circumcised. In other words, Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. You guys with me right now? That was the message of the false teachers coming to Galatia. And the false gospel is that you must add to the person and the work of Jesus to be saved. Now, circumcision for us, we're Gentiles. Circumcision for us uh, isn't really relevant. Um, so let me, let me try to move this into our neighborhood a little bit. Galatians, this study of Galatians presses on any teaching that adds rules, regulations, expectations, and traditions to salvation in Jesus alone, by grace alone, by faith, by faith alone. Any teaching, any, anything that, that would convince you by power and control and fear that you must do something to add to the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection for salvation is a false gospel. And this is what Paul is fighting for in this, in this uh, book. And throughout the study, here are some thematic contrasts that Paul will weave into these uh, six chapters. The true gospel versus the false gospel. The contrast of faith in Christ versus works. Grace, the grace of God versus the Mosaic Old Covenant law. Freedom, freedom versus the slavery of legalism. And we'll see those contrasts weave uh, throughout our study. If you have ever wondered, honest question, if you have ever wondered, am I, am I doing enough to be saved? Like, have I done enough? Am I doing enough to be saved? Galatians will be a game changer for you. If you have ever felt um, in your journey in the church or your journey as a Christian, your journey following Jesus, if you have ever felt manipulated or guilted by anyone with shoulds and oughts, Galatians will change your life. If, if following Jesus has been maybe a bit more about you and what you're doing, your works, than about Jesus and his finished work, Galatians will be liberating for you. But let me say this in closing this morning. Paul, in this letter, it will mess with you and it will mess with us. Um, it will mess, it will mess with your religion. It will mess with your religious ways of thinking, um, your evaluations of yourself. It will mess with your self-abasing thoughts. It will mess with your judgments and evaluations of other people. Um, it will mess with your legalistic ways of thinking uh, like this. If I just do this more or better or harder, uh, then God will do more for me. And this kind of stuff leaks out of, you know, out, of, out of our mouths sometimes. I've talked about this before, but here's how, here's how a legalistic way of thinking uh, leaks out of us sometimes. I'm praying so hard. I mean, we're just praying so hard as if like that's the only way to get God's attention is to pray hard. I don't know, I don't know where the movement is from like not hard to hard, 
But I think the scriptures just call us to trust God and pray. But we have this, right? Are you with me right now? Like if there's this thing in us that's like, we're going to pray or we're going to beg God. Just ask God, right? Ask and you will receive, right? And so those are ways, I mean, that, that kind of, that's going to get messed with in this series. It will shake up your pride. Uh, it, will, it will humble you. Um, it will call out hypocrisy. Um, Paul will oppose our arrogant, legalistic ways of thinking. He will oppose us to our face. Again, Paul is a freedom fighter, and he is proclaiming the true gospel to us. And when we attach anything to the grace message of Jesus and to his finished work for us, we get robbed, we get blinded, we get held captive, and we don't live free. Even though we are free, we don't live free. This is what was happening to the churches in Galatia. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And in this series, I'm gonna tell you, the grace of God is coming to liberate us in a fresh way. I wanna read one more verse out of Isaiah 30. We read those two verses. Uh, here's, here's how that um, chapter comes to a close. The Lord longs. We're like fleeing on our horses back to Egypt because the certainty of bondage is sometimes feels safer than, than the uncertainty of freedom. But here's the heart of God. The Lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. The true gospel is about real relationship with God in freedom, real transformation. And I'm gonna say it this way, a culture of grace, a culture of grace. This church, we, we are a family, we, we, we are a culture of people. And a culture of grace must be protected if it is going to last. Because there will always be, hear this, circumcision types, circumcision types who want us to turn away from the freedom that Jesus came and died and rose again to give us. This, this is what Paul is doing in this letter, and that is what we are going to be doing in this series. We are going to get grounded in grace, and we are going to be protecting a culture of grace because that is what Jesus came to give you. Amen? Freedom in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, would you anoint this series? Um, would you shake us up from any yoke, yokes of slavery uh, that we are still connected with. Lord, would it be a liberating series? Would we learn about freedom? Would we learn about the responsibility of freedom? Would we learn about the maturing of freedom in our lives? Would we stand firm as a people and not submit again to any more yokes of slavery in our lives? lives. Lord, thank you for the time to be in your word together this morning. And Lord, as we respond in worship, Lord, would our hearts be stirred to sing as the free people that we are in Christ. And not just sing, but to live and to grow and be transformed in our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.